Hi friend, if you love the information you hear in the podcast, then you will love the free mini series of videos that I've put together just for you. It's all about the biblical blueprint for health and teaches you exact principles I've taught to thousands of Christian women that result in weight loss, better sleep, increased energy, clearer skin, and sharper brains. You can go to thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries to grab this free set of short, powerful teachings that will show you how to create better health God's way. It's at thechristiannutritionist.com slash miniseries. Go check it out now. Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? We are talking lean mass versus fat mass because I recently had a DEXA scan, which measures body composition. So I was learning how much of my body is fat versus how much of my body is lean. Very interesting. This has been on my radar to do for some time just out of curiosity, really. But what finally spurred me to do it is that I recently accused my brother of being skinny fat. And I was telling him that he should get a DEXA scan. My brother is a he's tall and thin, but he doesn't eat very well. And you know, I worry about him. And he's kind of a little bit better about cooking for himself in these last few years instead of eating every single meal out. But there's definitely room for improvement in his diet. He's a bachelor. And so he, you know, pretty much eats out all the time, picks up food, drives through. And he's always had, mm, let's say an immature food palate. I mean, I don't mean to throw my mom under the bus, but she did a little bit cater to his pickiness when we were younger. My mom cooked a lot. She made all of our meals. And I'm so grateful for that because it was our norm. You know, I have a lot of friends whose moms didn't cook and home cooked meals were not their norm. And it's so much more of a struggle for them now. They don't like to cook. They don't want to cook. They didn't have that example of that being part of the routine. And so it's just not as natural or instinctive for them. So I'm just really grateful for my mom um, for that example. And, you know, I've taken it into my family and it's a very big part of our home life. And I hope that it carries on with my kids. However, my brother was a very picky eater, and if he didn't like what we were having and wouldn't eat it, then my mom would make him something else, like grilled cheese or mac and cheese. And so he grew up with this very immature food palate that carried over into his adulthood, and it's taken him a long time to branch out. You know, I remember my dad and my mom and I about fell out of our chairs recently when he told us that he ate salmon and salad, and we were like, oh, what? spurred you to do such a thing. I couldn't even imagine. But he was dating this girl for a while and she was she was a model and she was super healthy. And so she was a great influence on him when they were dating. Um, but of course, like, of course she would. Of course she'd try it for a girl. 
But anyway, um, anyway, he's branching out, which is good. He, he would die if he knew I was talking about him this much, but he doesn't listen to my podcast. So he won't know unless you know my brother. If you do just keep it on the DL. Okay. Anyway, as you can imagine, my brother thinks I'm ridiculous with all of my health things. I am surprised his eyes haven't popped out of his lids as hard as he's rolled them at me over the years. So we are always trading jabs about it and having that, you know, loving brother-sister banter, like me calling him skinny fat, also known as Tofi, which stands for thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And this last time I said it, he shockingly was like, well, you might be right. And so I took that as a, a little opening and I told him, hey, you should get a DEXA scan and check your body composition and, you know, see how much fat you have on the inside. And I said, in fact, maybe I'll get you one of those for Christmas. And my mom was standing there and she said, well, I might like one of those. And my dad was like, me too. I said, great. DEXA scans all around for Christmas. Everyone's getting a DEXA scan. But I hadn't even had one. So I thought, well, I better get on it. So I have some perspective and um, also know what my fat mass versus lean mass ratio is before I get all high and mighty and dissing my brother. So that's what we're talking about today. I'm going to share my experience and my results with you um, on that. But first, we kind of need to get some perspective and some context around this, okay, on lean mass and fat mass. So lean body mass is the sum weight of your skeletal muscle, organs, skin, bones, and body water. It's basically everything in your body except for fat. And then you have your fat mass, which is the amount of fat in your body. So your weight is the total of your lean mass and your fat mass. Now, when you get on a scale and get a total body weight number, that number is not telling you how much of your weight is lean mass or fat mass or how healthy the state of either of those masses are. Same with using your standard BMI or a body mass index score. That's a measurement that divides your weight by your height to determine a number that tells you if your body mass falls into a healthy range. What neither of these numbers take into account is this fat versus lean mass ratio though. And it can be very deceiving. You can have two people that you know are in normal weight range, but one is really healthy with muscle, you know, good muscle mass and good bone density, and the other is not. You know, you might have one woman who takes good care of her body, eats well, works out, does resistance training, has good muscle density, and she might have the same scale or BMI number as a woman who eats like crap and doesn't exercise. You know, there's no accounting for that lean mass versus fat mass. And in some cases, the healthy woman might even have a higher scale number or BMI number because she has worked to build muscle and retain bone density versus a woman who might weigh less but has no supportive skeletal muscle and has osteoporosis. I mean, give me the higher scale number and BMI all day long if that's the case. And you can really see this kind of decline in elderly people who just seem to be wasting away. You know, they're losing bone density. They're losing muscle mass. And like Leslie and I were talking about on the podcast a few weeks ago, this is that dangerous combination that rapidly ages you and increases your risk of death. One in three adults aged 50 and over dies within 12 months of suffering a hip fracture. I mean, that struck me because, hello, I'm almost 50. um, And I think that is way too young to be having a hip fracture and certainly 
way too young to be um, dying from such a thing. And older adults have an even way higher risk, like five to eight times higher risk of dying within the first three months of a hip fracture. So this is serious stuff, you know, and I think it's becoming more and more sadly, more and more common for people to be suffering these kinds of um, low density, bone density uh, problems at a younger age. And one of the biggest factors of that is that just not having enough muscle, When we're talking about lean mass today, okay, it's the muscle part of it is that we're really wanting to focus on because it's what we have the most influence over. The weight of your organs, skin, and bones don't change all that much, although bone density can change. But, you know, one of the biggest factors for keeping your bones strong is muscle. It's what supports your bones and makes them stronger. And the reason elderly people take such a nosedive when something like a broken hip lands them in the hospital is because they don't have enough muscle to rally after an event like that. Muscle is mobility. Muscle is strength. Muscle is being able to push yourself up out of a chair and go up and down stairs and open jars and all of those things. And it's this age-related loss of skeletal muscle called sarcopenia that really robs you of your independence and vitality as you age. And it's also lack of muscle that concedes your body over to more body fat. You know, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who's one of my favorite resources um, on this topic, says that we need to stop looking at people who are overweight as over fat and diagnose them as under muscled because muscle is not only a mobility organ, It's a metabolic organ. And in fact, Dr. Lyon calls it our highest metabolic and longevity asset. Metabolically speaking, when you eat carbs and they turn to sugar in the body, the first two places they get stored are in the liver and the muscle. You know, you can only hold or you're only supposed to hold about four grams of glucose in your bloodstream at one time. And the rest has to be stored because it's dangerous to have too much sugar in your blood at one time. So the body socks it away in your liver and in your muscle to use for later when you need it. But those are limited storage tanks. You know, your liver might hold around 100 grams and your muscles can hold eh, around 300 grams on average. But when those storage tanks are full, the rest of that sugar gets stored in your fat cells. It becomes fat. So an excess of carbs gets stored as fat. And the point is, muscle is an important holding tank. And the less muscle you have to store that sugar, the more of it is going to be turned into fat. And please remember that when I talk about carbs turning into sugar, I'm not just talking about muffins and chips and bread. You know, it's your oatmeal and your rice and your corn and your sweet potatoes. We have to consider the cumulative effect of all of the carbs that we eat in a day's time and how much room we have to store them before they turn to fat. We're surely not going to be able to um, store very many if we don't have much muscle. They're going to turn to fat much more quickly. And because we start losing muscle in our 30s, unless we're doing something to build it, we lose our capacity to handle carbs as well as we used to, simply because we don't have as much room to store them efficiently. More of it turns to fat. And so over time, your fat mass starts you know, creeping and overtaking your lean mass. And this is part of why we put on weight easier when we age. Then you throw some hormone changes on top of it and woo, it's a major double whammy. 
But you can change that by doing strength training and intentionally working to build muscle. You know, the more muscle you have, the more wiggle room that you have in your diet when it comes to carbohydrates. So circling back to the problem with only looking at a scale number or a BMI score is that they also don't tell you anything about visceral fat. Okay, there are two kinds of fat. There's subcutaneous fat, and that's the fat that we're familiar with, what we think of when we think of fat. Like if you're going to go pinch an inch or more on somebody's belly, you know, that's the fat that we're talking about. But there's also visceral fat, and that is much more sneaky and dangerous. It is the fat that lies deep in the abdominal cavity and wraps around your organs, like your liver, your intestines, and your kidneys. And it's not obvious like subcutaneous fat because it's, it's behind that. And so this is what we're talking about when someone is skinny fat or tofi, thin on the outside, fat on the inside. Um, and it's dangerous. You know, subcutaneous fat is pretty straightforward. I mean, you're aware that you're overweight and that that comes with health implications, right? When you've got this subcutaneous fat, this fat right under the skin we, that we see. But visceral fat can be less obvious and more dangerous. It increases the risk of heart disease, stroke, dementia, diabetes, obesity, and overall inflammation. You might know someone who appears healthy on the outside because they're at, you know, a normal weight, but they could have too much of this visceral fat on the inside. And this is why sometimes we're shocked to hear that so-and-so had a heart attack or so-and-so was diagnosed with diabetes, you know, and a lot of it is linked to this visceral fat that you can't see. This is what worries me for someone like my brother, you know, who appears healthy, but could have, knowing his diet is likely to have more of this visceral fat than is normal. Now, it for some people, it is obvious a protruding belly is usually a sign that there's more visceral fat behind the subcutaneous fat, especially when you see somebody with that rounded, hard belly, kind of like, you know, when somebody looks pregnant, but they're not. It's that rounded, hard fat rather than kind of your soft, floppy fat. Um, So that is one sign, obvious sign. But like I said, not everybody has that. You can be a normal weight and have that dangerous visceral fat. And so that's one great thing about a DEXA scan is that it can uh, reveal that to you. A DEXA, so let's talk about the DEXA scan. Um, it really does give you so much more insight than a scale or a BMI calculation. It is considered the gold standard method of measuring fat mass. So DEXA stands for Dual Energy X-ray Absorbiometry. And it uses two low-power x-ray beams to scan your body. You lay on the table, and then it you know, kind of goes over you and scans you. And the x-rays work by differentiating tissue density. So it's able to detect the difference between muscle and bone, which has a higher density, and fat, which has a lower density. So then it can calculate that fat percentage. Now, I'm not normally too thrilled about exposing myself to excess radiation, but a DEXA is pretty low in the scheme of things. It's measured in microsieverts. And just to give you some perspective, a DEXA has between one to four microsieverts. A flight from California to Australia has about 40 microsieverts. A chest X-ray has 60 microsieverts. And a mammogram has 400 microsieverts. So you're getting a much bigger wallop of radiation from a mammogram than, say, you would a DEXA. Now, when I was looking for a place to get a DEXA scan, so I decided I wanted to have one, 
Um, and that's always challenging for me, you know, because I live out in the boonies. And so I was looking around and you can get DEXA scans at doctor's offices. You can get them in gyms. Some gyms do have them. And insurance will often cover it if it's something ordered by your doctor. And in most cases, it would be ordered for bone density. So you can get a basic body composition scan um, and or you can get a bone density scan. I did both. And I ended up having to do mine in San Antonio, which is a few hours away from me. But I found a doctor there who specializes in using the DEXA with his patients. And then he has programs targeting bone density and optimizing body composition um, based on the results of the scan. He actually advises quite a few bodybuilding competitors. And he was showing me their before and after scans, which was really fascinating. Anyway, when I called him to make the appointment... He was kind of surprised that I wanted to do the advanced bone density scan, you know, in, in addition to the basic body composition scan. One, because I'm still in my 40s. And I think the recommendation uh, to get one of these bone density scans is when you're 65. Maybe younger if you have a history of um, osteoporosis in your family. But really, I mean, 65? Like, let's wait till we've lost a ton of muscle and our bones are crumbly before we take a look. I think that's waiting too long. I think having one in your 50s at least would be uh, better to get ahead of it. So he was kind of surprised on that. And then also he was like, are you sure this is going to be cost more, you know, and and, uh, and it, it didn't, they don't, well, I don't have insurance for this kind of thing. You know, um, I am self-employed, so I've never had any good insurance. So I was going to have to pay out of pocket. And so he was like, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do this? And I'm like, yes, I, I am positive. I stopped letting insurance be a barrier to my health care a long, long time ago. I think it's very sad that we let and doctors let insurance dictate the kind of care we get. You know, insurance is not very good at covering preventative care. And I am more into that than spending my money on reactive or sick care. So anyway, I was happy to pay. Um, and I paid about $300, $300 total out of pocket to get both of the scans. So the body composition um, and then the more advanced bone density scan. And I'll tell you, if you need a little motivating dose of reality, this is worth it. Because when you can see how much of your body is fat mass versus lean mass, it is a reality check. You know, it's different than like looking in the mirror or getting on the scale and assessing the, you know, assessing it from an aesthetic point of view. When you get that scan and you're looking at it um, and it's you know, kind of all broken down for you, it's more looking at it from a medical and health point of view. And that can be much more motivating. So... My total lean mass is 96.3 pounds, and my fat mass is 31.8 pounds. So I'm about 30 pounds of fat, and I'll let you add those two numbers up if you want to know how much I weigh. But overall, that comes out to be 24.8% of body fat for me, which falls into well, the average range. So an average range is 25 to 31% fat. A, a fitness range would be more 20 to 24% fat, and then 32% and above, anything above that is considered obese and having too much of your body be fat mass. Now, um, looking at the scan, we could see that the majority of my fat is on my hips and my booty, and I didn't need a scan to tell me that. <laughs> That's very clear to me. But the good news was, is that my estimated visceral fat 
um, that, you know, that hidden fat is at 31.2. And the goal is to have less than 100. So I was really happy to see that. And my bones uh, looked good. I'm in good shape there. It, it um, They measure it in different places like your hip and your forearm. And, and anyway, it's very interesting to kind of go through and, and have the doctor talk you through it. I did have a little bit of osteopenia in one area. And what I didn't realize and what the doctor said is that people who maintain kind of a your optimal weight, um, and especially if that's on the lower end around, you know, anything around 127 pounds or less, are more prone to having low bone density, uh, or low bone mass. And the reason for that is that having more weight provides a stimulus as weight bearing exercise on the bones, which is one of the things that helps your bones stay healthy. So it's kind of interesting, you know, carrying around your own body weight counts toward weight bearing exercise on your bones. And the lower weight you are, the less you're getting that stimulus. So I thought that was interesting. And by the way, osteopenia is what is used to describe low bone mass, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to develop into osteoporosis. It's not like it's pre osteoporosis, like pre diabetes, you know, um, you can just be osteo, um, have that osteopenia, but doesn't mean you are um, destined to have osteoporosis. So overall, I found the DEXA scan very insightful. And like I said, a very good motivator, you know, I want to stay in this good range that I'm at. And I'm at the age where that could really start shifting. If I don't continue to, you know, have a good protein intake, if I don't work on building muscle, and with this change of hormones, you know, that I have going on, (laughs) these perimenopausal years, that shift of hormones, all of that could change for the, the worse if I'm not mindful of it. I thought it was interesting that when the doctor said, you know, if you put on five pounds of muscle, you would be in that 20% body fat range, which is really the fitness range. And that's about the target for people who want to have that really lean toned muscular kind of look. And I was like, Ooh, that does sound intriguing. And I kind of would like to go for that. But that also sounds really hard. (laughs) That sounds like that would take a lot of work. So I don't know. Um, but I am so glad I have this baseline for where I am, you know, and so that's why I wanted to do the podcast about it, to share the information with you in case it's something that you might want to do. I think it could absolutely be an eye opener for somebody, whether it's realizing that you might be more percent body fat than you think, or that you have too much visceral fat. I mean, those two would absolutely spur you on to kind of get your act together, right? I keep thinking about what Cynthia Thurlow said when she was on the podcast about how we want to be a filet and not a ribeye. <laughs> I thought that was the best visual. I mean, I love eating me some ribeye, but you know, we don't want our muscle or our organs to be streaked with fat like a ribeye, right? We want to have, you know, we're thinking about our muscle, especially we want our muscle to be dense and lean like a fillet. We want to be fillets, my friend. Um, And I had this experience recently, I wasn't feeling too strong. And it made me kind of sad. I was up at the school gym, helping uh, 
decorate for the dance at my daughter's school for the snowball dance, the winter dance. And there was this pull-up bar in the gym and the kids were kind of jumping and hanging around on it. And so I jumped up and I was going to do a pull-up thinking, surely I could do one. Oh no, sister. I couldn't, I mean, I could barely like pull myself up two inches. It was pathetic. I wasn't even close. And so I was like, okay, I need to work on this. So that, I'm saying it right here, that is my next strength training goal is to, my goodness, at least be able to do one pull up. I mean, several more would be wonderful, but let's, I'm just going to start with one. And so that is what I'm working on in my new year goal. When we start 10 times stronger, which starts in January, pull-ups, that's going to be my strength training goal. Do you remember if you did 10 times stronger with me, if you listened to the podcast last spring, the whole reason that I came up with doing 10 times stronger and created that program was because I felt like my body was going soft. You know, as I'm aging and losing this muscle mass and my hormones are changing, it was like all of a sudden I just felt like everything was more floppy than it used to be. And so I created 10 times stronger to really focus on getting more protein, getting um, more resistance training in and making sure we're making that our habit so that we're building muscle, retaining muscle mass and you know, retaining bone density and all of those good things. But my strength training goal was to be able to do 10 big girl pushups. That's where I got the name 10 times stronger. And um, so anyway, that I met that goal. And so I like now actually that this the pulling, the pull up is my goal for this time, because really the the pushing and the pulling are those two fundamental um, strength training or strength goals that you want to movements that you want to be able to do well, that's a really good indicator for just kind of overall strength is really focusing on the push and the pull. So I did my push and now I'm going to focus on my pull. And so I would ask you what your goal is going to be in January. And I hope you'll plan on joining us for 10 times stronger. It is four weeks of focusing on more muscle, more protein, and more Jesus. Put it all together. If you've got a new year goal of, you know, changing your body composition, leaning out, and just really taking more time to be with the Lord, well, this kind of rolls it all up into one place for you. Um, and so I think it'll be just, it's it's a great, going to be a great way to ring in the new year. Um, I've done several podcasts on it when I, we, when I ran it for the first time in May. So there's quite a few podcasts from back in April on the program, and I'll link to those in the show notes. Um, but just to give you kind of the quickest overview of what we do, we work on building up our protein intake week by week, and we use a 30 gram protein distribution goal, getting 30 grams of protein at different meals. And we work up to that because a lot of for a lot of people, um, getting that much protein is difficult. So we want to work into that and help our body get used to that and be able to produce those gastric juices that really help break it down and such. And um, that 30 gram number is what sets us up for optimal muscle protein synthesis so that we can give our body the materials it needs to build muscle. And then on the strength training side, we're focusing on doing two strength training sessions a week and focusing on that train to fail approach, which means we push our muscles to their weakest point. And that, you know, when we can't do another rep, that's when we know that we have pushed it to respond, we have pushed it to grow. Okay, and so those are 
those are our two kind of physical goals. But while we're growing our muscle, we're going to be also growing in our faith and our relationship with the Lord. As all of my programs, we are always putting God first, um, making him our anchor, remembering why we do this and making our body a an excellent vessel for the Holy Spirit, becoming a stronger body in the body of Christ. That is what we're doing. And what I love is that this this idea of pushing our muscle um, to grow stronger from its weakest point is just has such a, a beautiful kind of biblical um, parallel when we look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, which says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I love that because it's it's when we're, you know, talking about building muscle, it's when we can't do one more lift, one more rep, when we've pushed our muscle to its weakest point, that is when it gets the message to grow. The power is made perfect in weakness. And that's how our faith grows too, because we're human. We fail. And giving our personal weaknesses over to the Lord is a stimulus for spiritual growth. It is admitting that we can't do it all on our own. And it's acknowledging the Lord as our greatest source of power. It's allowing him to do a great work in our lives. When we are weak, he is strong. And so that is our spiritual focus and 10 times stronger. And I hope that you will join us. Registration is open right now. You can find that on my website at um, www.thechristiannutritionist.com. I'll also put the link in the show notes and I'm always sharing it in social media so you can find it in any of those places. Um, and like I said, we'll link to the other podcasts I did on 10 Times Stronger. If you want more details, we'll put that in the show notes. But we start January 2nd. So plan on joining us. I just can't think of a better way to kick off the new year with um, a better body and being a better body in the body of Christ. So thank you, my friend, for letting me share with you today. Thank you for listening. I hope it gave you some good insight, make you think a little bit more about lean mass versus your fat mass. Maybe you get you interested in getting a DEXA scan or looking into that. But I always appreciate the time that you spend with me here. I hope you have a healthy and blessed week, and I will talk to you soon. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.